Good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Jordan Droge. Uh, I'm one of the folks that serves on the preaching team here at Missio Day Church. And uh, I, I'm not from Maine originally. Uh, we moved here about eight years ago. And when I first moved here, uh, somebody told me, someone who's become a good friend of mine said, hey, if you want to fit in Maine, you have to do two things. You have to get a dog and you have to get a truck. Uh, so I have a dog. I don't have a truck. So maybe later we can do a love offering, see how the Lord provides. Maybe I can get that truck. Uh, but um, we have a dog, Kiwi. Some of you have met Kiwi. She's awesome. Uh, fun fact about Kiwi, we tried to actually give her a Kiwi. She was not interested. So she is not a cannibal. She will not eat her own kind. Um, so, but what's great about having, uh, one of the great things about having Kiwi is that it's kind of gotten me out in nature to go on walks and whatnot, which is kind of good for my personality type. And so I'll just go for a walk, throw in my AirPods, and maybe listen to a podcast or pray or whatever else. It's really good for me. And I think there's something that happens to us when we're out in nature, right? Um, but by far, without a doubt, not even close, the most powerful moment that I've ever had in nature was when Emily and I, my wife Emily and I, went to Yosemite National Park in California for our fifth wedding anniversary. So we were kind of staying off of the South Hotel, and um, in order to get to Yosemite Valley, which is where Half Dome is and all the waterfalls, like all kind of the, the central part of the park, you had to kind of, kind of travel quite a ways from the South Gate to get to Yosemite Valley. And I'll never forget the moment when we were sort of rounding this long corner and we both caught the first glimpse of Yosemite Valley. We were in the car and literally out loud we both said, whoa. And I felt like my stomach exploded. My heart was racing a thousand miles an hour. It was something unbelievable that I've never experienced since. And now I, I've seen sunsets and like pretty landscapes and whatnot. And so, yeah, that's a cool scene. But nothing like this. I mean, this was like awe-inspiring. Something so much more larger and powerful than me to look at was just incredible. And there's no picture you could look at, no video you could watch that would even come close to matching that feeling of seeing that Yosemite Valley in person. And I, I have to think that maybe that's kind of close to the feeling that Peter, James, and John had um, in this scene that we're going to look at in our text this morning. Uh, we are in our 12th week in our Life of Christ series, which has been our journey through the book of Matthew. And this morning we're going to look at Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. So if you have a, a Bible text near you or a phone or device, go ahead and um, head to Matthew 17. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Here's the word of the Lord. Six days later... Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of the Lord. 
So in this passage, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew is once again continuing the pattern of trying to accomplish what I think is his twofold task. The first being to connect Jesus to Israel's past and the leaders of Israel's past. And the second is to elevate uh, Jesus above those leaders as Messiah while simultaneously reshaping the category and definition of Messiahship in and around the person of Jesus. The word Messiah is a Jewish title given to the one who is believed to be anointed by God and was the one to rescue God's people. Now, this scene is depicted on a mountain, which is significant. Uh, In the ancient world, oftentimes it was believed that God or the gods would communicate from the mountains. Furthermore, both Moses and Elijah, who appear in our passage, had on separate occasions uh, significant encounters with Yahweh on a mountain, namely Mount Sinai. So when the text begins with Jesus leading Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain, it's a clue for us to lean in and pay attention because something significant is about to take place. Jesus is transfigured before their eyes, and Peter, James, and John are the only people in all of history to see Jesus in this new and powerful way, which is kind of crazy to think about. Suddenly, two figures appear on either side of Jesus, and we just mentioned them, Moses and Elijah. These are significant figures from Israel's past, taken from the Hebrew Scriptures, or what we would call the Old Testament. So you have Moses being the representation of the law, and Elijah being the representation of the prophets, with Jesus standing in the middle of them. And then at the very end of the text, Peter, James, and John look up and see that Jesus is standing alone by himself, and Moses and Elijah are gone. Now, the absence of Moses and Elijah and Jesus standing alone does not mean that both the law and the prophets can now be thrown out. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus says the exact opposite, right? Rather, it means that Jesus is both the fulfillment of them as well as the embodiment of the good creator God who has orchestrated and revealed himself through both the law and the prophets. Peter, James, and John knew the significance of things happening on a mountain. So when they followed Jesus up that mountain, although it's not explicitly said in the text, I think it's safe to assume that they were hoping to get some of their questions answered. They might have thought, is Jesus going to give us a new law? a new prophecy, or perhaps the answers to our biggest questions. But Jesus had a different plan. He didn't give them answers. He gave them himself, his person. They experienced an entirely new expression of his person. And it was an experience and an expression that no one else in history had ever seen up to that point. Jesus doesn't take these three men, his kind of inner circle, up on a mountain to give them a new set of laws, a new prophecy, some secret insight, or even the four spiritual laws so they can go to heaven when they die. He gives them himself, which is far more powerful, profound, and beautiful. Not that laws and prophecies don't mean anything. But that those things and things like them mean what they mean when they are seen through the person of Jesus. Like Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples, we too would just prefer to have the answers to our questions. Tell us what this means. Tell us where our lives are going. Tell us why this is happening. What do I need to know, Jesus? 
Remember in John 14 when Thomas asked Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds with, I am the way. The answer that Jesus gives is again connected to himself, his person. Why? Because I think Jesus knows us too well. He knows that if he gives us an answer to one question, it might satisfy us for a moment, but soon we will return with another question and a desire for yet another answer. Or perhaps the answer that we get won't be good enough, so we will come back with an explanation or reason for why we, have, we, we got the answer that we did. And also I think he does this because the reality is that when life is in chaos, when the fit hits the shan, see what I did there? When the world seems like it's in such disrepair, when your life is coming apart at the seams, there's no amount, and there's no amount of answers that could uh, fix the pain that you have. You have a person to cling to. You have someone to hold on to. But actually that someone is holding on to you. Jesus knows that when life is in chaos, that answers and information will always fall short. But himself, his person, will never fall short because he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And friends, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. But Jesus has you. He has you. And maybe you can't feel that right now. In this moment. But maybe, just maybe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, after you leave here this morning, you might experience just a small taste of that beautiful good news that he has you. We think that it is the answers to our questions that will save us, satisfy us, and give us hope. But what if Jesus himself, his person, is what we must cling to so that we can navigate through those murky waters of life's chaos, questions, and longings? And and, and please hear me. Jesus sometimes does give very clear answers or direction or wisdom. There's no doubt. But even when we do get those things, it is still Jesus himself, his person, his life, that is at the center and the lens by which we see everything, both answered and unanswered questions. So then in verse 5, you have Jesus receiving the same affirmation from the Father that he did at his baptism. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased, with an added listen to him. This affirmation is actually given as Peter was still speaking. It was a divine interruption, but literally so. Which maybe is the reason that the Father adds this listen to him, because Peter had his own theory and action plan that he was ready to share with Jesus, and he wasn't listening. So Peter's statement is that it is good for us to be here. And if you wish, Lord, I can make three dwelling places or, or tents for you, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I don't think that we can uh, put this statement in the category of just another silly and ridiculous thing that Peter said, or yet another example of where Peter missed it. I actually think that this statement 
reveals something about our wiring as humans, and even more so for those of us in the church. We long to do everything we can to preserve and or create these mountaintop experiences. Man, look at what we're witnessing right here. This is where life is. Let's build something to maintain this so we can keep coming back here and experience this great feeling. Peter wanted to do everything he could to preserve that moment, that experience. And as a result, he missed the one who was at the very center of that experience and moment. He was absolutely captured and taken over by this experience. And who wouldn't be, right? All of us would be. But because this experience was so powerful and never before seen, he thought that uh, this experience was it. That the experience was where life is. But life is found in the one who orchestrated all of it. Jesus was not trying to give them an experience that, could then, that they could then replicate or reproduce and bring more people back to this same place. Jesus was trying to give them himself, his person, but in a new and powerful way. He was not trying to give them a messianic experience to replicate but a Messiah to follow. Not an experience to be had, but a person to follow. Now, I I by no means want to diminish the power and significance of Jesus moving in profound ways that happen at specific times or at specific places. Maybe some of us have had experience with Jesus on a retreat, a missions trip, or even a summer camp. These are all beautiful experiences, all of which I would encourage and some of which I have even participated in myself and owe a huge gratitude for how they have impacted and shaped my walk with Christ. But it's when we feel the need to preserve and replicate those moments, so much so that we lose the person at the center of it. That's when we miss it. It's almost as if we're saying Jesus can only move at these specific moments and in these specific places. Instead of these things being one way that we can experience Jesus, they can become the only way. Which is why we feel the need to preserve them and replicate them. Peter's desire to make a tent for Moses, Jesus, and Elijah is not not a wrong thing in and of itself. There's something to be said for having physical, tangible reminders and representations of bigger spiritual experiences and realities. In fact, there's even a precedent for for this throughout the history of the church. On my desk in my office, I have a rock that I took with me after hiking a peak 18,000 feet in Colorado that was right on the Continental Divide. And it's a reminder to me of when Jesus spoke to me and gave me a calling over my life. On days when I feel I throw in the towel, I'll pick up that rock and remind myself of that powerful moment on the mountain. These kind of physical or tangible reminders are important for us but only when it points us to the person behind it or at the center of it. Because we don't follow a thing, we follow a person. We don't follow an experience, we follow a person. That rock is a reminder of my calling and the person who gave me that calling. But it's not the calling itself, nor the person behind it. And in the same way, this experience was about the person who made it happen, not the 
itself. And as we all know, Jesus did not stay on this mountain. The mission of Jesus did not culminate on the Mount of Transfiguration. In fact, the climax actually happened on a different mountain, Golgotha. Jesus gave Peter, James, and John himself on one mountain, and then he eventually went up another mountain to give up his life and rescue all of creation on the cross. Jesus wants to give us himself. He gave up himself. And if we are followers of Jesus, we must too lay down our lives. Yes, Jesus wants, us, uh, to, Jesus wants to give us himself. But not so that we can just enjoy him for ourselves and enjoy our safe and comfortable Christian environment. But so that others might experience his person by you and I laying down our lives. Several years ago, um, the famous band Hillsong came to Portland and they played at the Cross Insurance Arena. And I somehow got like front row tickets, and, uh, which is very ironic and humorous if you know anything about me because all I do is make fun of cheesy Christian culture. And here I am like front row at smoking weed. Just kidding. There was no weed there. But, um, but at one point in the concert, and I see the entire Cross Insurance Arena packed. It was unbelievable. And I mean, this is Maine. Like, you guys get it, right? This, isn't, this ain't Texas, right? It's a, little, it's a little different up here. So to see all those people come to Hillsong was really incredible, unbelievable. Totally. But as I went home, I thought, you know, and the Roots are in Lewiston needs people to invest their lives in the African immigrant community of Portland and Lewiston. You know, I bet you we couldn't even fill the first three rows of people who would lay down their life and go. There are great ministries around college, like navigators and intervarsity. I first three rows. You want to say yes? I'll lay down my life. And go. There are five. Young Life areas in the state of Maine, all of which more Young Life and wildlife leaders to walk into the world of kids and build relationships with them. The Cross Insurance Arena with people would say, Now, I'm not trying to anyone. I'm not saying that go wrong. That no one here is giving their lives away. I tell story because I think it brings out some important questions for us to ask ourselves. I prefer to stay on the Mount of Transfiguration and not travel up to Golgotha. We want Jesus to give us himself, and we want to receive him. But when that also means we too have to lay down our lives as Jesus did, it's, it's a different story. The Mount of Transfiguration to follow Jesus. They are not two options to pick from, but both things for us to participate in. Transfiguration and Golgotha are beautiful and critical mountains within the landscape of the story of God. Choose to live on both mountains. 
person of Jesus, but also people to lay down their lives as Jesus did. Let's be honest. Like, the Mount of Transfiguration is way easier. Like, this is Jesus Hillsong. As all the youth say, this is low-key lit, okay? Like, and believe me, I'm 38. I know a lot about kids today. My space is popping. Easier, right? Like, this is awesome. Look at Jesus. That resurrection cannot happen without death. When we willingly choose to lay down our life, we will discover and experience a new form of life. A form of life that will make the world say, it is good for us to be here. And I don't know what feelings come up in you when you think about laying down your life. But for me, honestly, one of the most prevalent is fear. Don't be afraid. And I, this is just so beautiful that he knows his people so well. He knows that they are afraid. The phrase, don't be afraid, have no fear, appears 365 times in the scriptures, one for every day. And the good news is Incredible compassion and grace. He stores him. I'm thinking about I have to experience history and Jesus restores him. So whatever you feel this morning, know that Jesus is with you. puts his hand on you and says, get up, don't be afraid. I want to, this is the fourth Sunday celebrated by the church for thousands of years. Way to kind of do some inventory, to ask some hard questions about what the Lord might be doing in you and with you. Head into the final three weeks of Lent, I want to offer to us two to consider and, and a prayer bless us. Here's the first question. God bless you. That's not the question. What areas of your life are being lived on the Mount of Transfiguration that perhaps need to be taken to Golgotha? What areas of your life are being lived on the Mount of Transfiguration that perhaps need to be taken to Golgotha? And the second question is, how might the Lord be asking you to lay down your life right now? How might the Lord be asking you to lay down your life right now? I would encourage us, if you have tried this week, to ask each other these questions. And here's this prayer. I'm going to just say it once so you can hear it, and then I'm going to pray it over all of us. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself in a new way and make me keenly aware of the reality that you are holding on to me 
even when, even when I am unable or unwilling to hold on to you. And I think what I'll do is I'll post this on the realm so we can all have it, and maybe you can pray over it during the season of Lent. What I'd like for us to do is um, for all of us to close our eyes, and if you would, just extend your hands forward. And I want to pray this over us as a church, and then we'll enter into communion. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us in a new way and make all of us keenly aware of the reality that you are holding on to us even when we are unable or unwilling to hold on to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Jordan going to do communion as we do every week, um, and if uh, one or two folks could come up from the leadership team to hand out the cups, that would be helpful. Thank you, Emily. Um, leave the silver one there, yeah. Um, just as a short practical note, um, if you need a gluten-free wafer instead of the ones that come in those, the ones on the silver platter here are gluten-free, so you... Um, the only catch is you need to come up and take it. So I guess we'll all know who needs gluten-free wafers, but that's that was the best way we could think to do it practically. So just know that it's there, but please, please do help yourself if that's what you need. So as you get the elements, please, as we usually do, I would ask you to wait, hold on the cup, hold on to the cup until I instruct you to open it and um, we'll take it together because taking it together is a really important aspect of why we do it and how we do it. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to, um, I was writing some things down as Jordan was speaking, and um, personally, I'm really struck in this moment by the comparison of Transfiguration and Golgotha, and um, it's funny, I'll, I'll, I guess, confess something. Um, as someone who preaches pretty regularly, I think I find myself in the temptation to create a transfiguration experience for us every time I preach, <laughs> um, which I was being struck by that in the moment. It's like, wow, I, um, there's something there to identify. And I just want to offer that as a practical confession to you. And maybe you have something similar where you expect transfiguration experiences or you try to create them or something. Um, just I'd offer that to you and consider, I'll ask you to consider that as you, as you take communion together. Like what did it mean to give that away? Um, to sacrifice that. Um, and the other thing I want to say about communion before we take it is that in light of that, um, in a way, communion is kind of a mundane act. It's it's eating and drinking. You know, Jesus shared this meal with his followers. It's a mundane action. Um, and one thing that is powerful to me about communion, and one reason I'm glad we do it every week here is because you can participate in it and partake in it regardless of how you feel in that moment you know it's something outside of you and um, if you are feeling mundane right now if you're not feeling particularly amped or particularly excited about following Christ but you still want to you can still take communion or if you are feeling excited you can still take communion and we can all do it together Um, and so I'd also invite you to consider to consider that aspect of it as we take it together Um, but I invite you now to open open the cup and um Consider Christ's words as he was with his followers the last night of his life. And he broke bread and he handed it around to them and said, Take and eat, this is my body, broken for you. Go ahead and dip the wafer into the juice and, um, and eat.
in the mundane action of eating, know that you are following Christ's command to continue to celebrate this and to eat together until he comes. And similarly, on the same night, he took a cup and he poured it and he said, this is my blood spilled for the new covenant. Um, And he said he would drink it together with us when the time is fulfilled. Um, So I invite you to take and drink. I know that as you do, you're doing this together, and actually we're linking, we're linked with all the uh, other believers and followers of Christ around the world who are also doing this together. Um, it's a powerful thing. So I'm gonna, I would like to pray for us now, and then um, we're going to sing a song and um, have some announcements and a closing prayer. But um, join with me as we pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for the gift of yourself, the profound mystery. It is that we believe that the maker of the heavens and earth actually came to us as a man and gave himself to us. Lord, I pray that that mystery would draw us into awe and adoration and worship this morning as we remember that story of you being transfigured in that powerful vision that was given to your followers. Lord, I pray we'd be drawn into deeper deeper faith and loyalty and trust to you that would produce more love and more hope in us as we continue to seek to follow you in this city and in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our homes. Lord, we thank you. We do genuinely thank you. We offer a prayer of thanks both for the Mount of Transfiguration and the Mount of Golgotha. We thank you for what they both mean. We thank you for those profound spiritual transcendent experiences as well as the invitation to come and follow you, to pick up our cross, to die every day. We thank you for both. Lord, I pray you'd protect both in our lives that we would not give up one for the other. And Lord, finally, I do want to offer a prayer for Ukraine, um, for our sister Joy who is in Poland right now. And for the people who are suffering, the people who have been displaced, the people who do not know where their home will be or where their next meal may be, Lord, we pray, even as we sit in relative comfort here in this part of the globe, Lord, we pray earnestly for our brothers and sisters who have lost so much, who have sacrificed so much. We pray for peace, Lord. We pray for your peace to replace suffering and violence to overcome. Lord, show us what it means to walk faithfully. In your holy name we pray. Amen.